So you want me to make a huge announcement and then tell you what I think about Assyrians? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Now, now wait. Don't get too close to the mic because it's just pops. Up. Yeah, but but we want to hear Ray Markarian is playing the Michael Buffer role. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready to rumble! I'm ready to throw down right now. Let's see. Where's Dude, the yeah. fight? Where's They're like the giving fight? me a head rush right now. I'm all pumped up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hello friends and welcome to the Assyrian Podcast. It is so good to be here with you. And on today's episode, you might find yourself asking, "Uh uh-oh, did I download a boxing podcast by accident? Make no mistake, you're in the right place. I had the pleasure of interviewing Ray Markarian. Ray is a successful real estate agent in the Bay Area, but he's also this huge boxing enthusiast. Ray has written for places like The Sweet Science, Bleacher Report, and he's also helped make videos for the Golden State Warriors. Who would have thought some of these big heavyweight boxing matches you see, there's actually a reporter, a journalist in there, who's asking people like Floyd Mayweather really difficult questions. And that's the beauty of the Assyrian podcast. It brings you people like Ray from all over the world. Ray grew up in an Assyrian home in Modesto, California, and I think you're going to have just a joy getting to know him better. So thank you so much for sharing, for telling others about the Assyrian Podcast. Please rate and review us in the iTunes store. Get the word out. Let others know of how much you're enjoying the Assyrian Podcast. Thanks for all your support. If you know someone who should be on the Assyrian Podcast, then email us at assyrianpodcast at gmail.com, and we'd love to get that person on. And now, here's Ray. So, Ray, I know you were born in SoCal area in L.A., and then you moved to Modesto. Is that accurate? I was born in Los Angeles, North Hollywood, and we moved to Modesto when I was like five years old and grew up in Modesto. Yeah. So you're involved in all the Assyrian parties and the Assyrian circles and the conventions and all that good stuff. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I was involved just growing up around the Assyrian community. I have a lot of Assyrian friends, still do. Growing up in Modesto... Uh, I was lucky to be surrounded by so many close friends. You know, I'm in my 30s now, but when I talk to some of my friends that I grew up with, we talk about how close we were growing up because we didn't really have much to do. So we just spent a lot of time together and our parents, you know, hung out together. I'm sure a lot of Assyrians had that same story. But we feel like growing up in Modesto, we probably wouldn't have been as close as we would have been if we lived in a bigger city. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. So... I know you got your undergraduate degree in history and you dabbled in teaching. Right. And now you're living in San Francisco, which, by the way, of all the Assyrian podcasts I've done, this is one of my best views. Uh, (laughs) We'll have to post a picture on the social media. But you're living in San Francisco and you're killing it as a real estate agent. Right. And at the same time, you've got this other part about you where when I'm in your home, I see you've got a, a boxing belt. You have posters of boxers. And you are really, really into boxing. Right. And getting to know you better, I'm like, wait a second. This guy has written for The Sweet Science. You've written for Bleacher Report. You helped the Warriors out with that promotion they did and strength in numbers. Right. Help me understand. How did you go from doing real estate and then you're writing for Bleacher Report and Sweet Science and all this stuff? Well, I was writing about boxing way before I got into real estate. 
just loved boxing growing up. You know, my brothers and I watched boxing when we were kids, like Mike Ty old Mike Tyson fights. Growing up in the 90s, just like really, really great era in boxing for heavyweights and uh, some of the middleweights like Oscar De La Hoya, obviously Evander Holyfield, Lennox Lewis, heavyweights. I loved boxing growing up and I just started writing as a fan, really. I reached out to a bunch of editors that for these hardcore boxing websites that I read and I told them, hey, you know, I have this background that I love the sport. I just, I would write for you guys. I just want to help the sport. I'll do it for free, whatever. And that actually worked? It worked. A few of the editors that I reached out to responded to me in e via email. Mm -hmm. And they said, yeah, send us a sample of your work. And I was like, wow. I was like, okay. I had a little bit of a writing background. You know, Is it because of your undergraduate history? Well, partly because of that, yeah. I went to school actually to be a history teacher, mm -hmm. but for one reason or another, didn't really work out for me. So I got into you know, real estate, that was the other side of my life. But I submitted an article that I thought would be interesting about boxing, and I sent it out to all, you know, a few of those editors that reached out to me, and then one of them just published it the next day. And it was crazy, you know. They didn't that, even tell you they were gonna publish they didn't it? Publish, they didn't wow. tell me, they didn't pay me. I, I was like, I was just pumped, you know, I didn't care. And then, like, I started seeing the story, like, kind of getting blasted out in all these forums and stuff. And I was like, wow, like, people reaching out to me. It was like, this might actually work out for me. So then I just built off of it. What year was that? 2007. So 2007, you're fresh out of college, but you love boxing. Right. What was your first article? It was about Floyd Mayweather faking his retirement. Oh. Yeah. And I said that the title of the article was uh, Boxing Retirement. A new political strategy, meaning that you're going to fake your retirement in order to get fans to watch, want to watch you fight. And Why? Because was boxing suffering at the time or something? No, it's because so a lot of popular boxers, boxers that are trying to get popular, they'll pretend like, oh, this is my last fight. I'm not going to do this anymore. And then, oh, I see. <laughs> and then they'll get people to want to see them fight again yeah. by saying, oh, I'm retired. I'm done. And there's been a long history of fighters doing that, mm -hmm. right? Oscar De La Hoya did it before Floyd Mayweather, Bernard Hopkins, and then Mayweather did it right around the time I wrote, I was writing this story, and I was like, man, I'm calling this guy out. This is exactly what he's doing, right? And I just broke it all down into a thousand words or something. And yeah, then it just kind of picked up from there. And it was Sweet Science? It was uh, actually a website called uh, doghouseboxing.com. <laughs> <laughs> and they were connected with another website at the time that was popular called Max Boxing, which was also connected to ESPN. So I was like, okay, let me just reach out to all these hardcore websites and then hopefully like someone will see what I'm trying to do. Okay, right? so of all the sports out there that you could choose from to become a fanatic to the degree where now you're writing articles and you're heavy into it, what was it about boxing that gripped you? Man, I think boxing is just the essence of sports, really. It's it's mano y mano. It's, it's an even playing field. Is it even though? I mean, wait, there, I want to get into this. There's those two, there's those articles that you wrote on the referees, which okay. by the way, of everything you've written, just because for me, reading about how you go deep into, oh, the boxer was a fireman or the referee was a fireman before he became a boxer uh -huh. and you go deep into their lives and understand sort of what they bring to the being a referee. I was like, man, this guy is really into it where you're writing detailed articles about the referee's lives. Right. Would you say boxing is a mano y mano? It's truly man on, you know, one person against another person or is it fixed? You know what? That's a great question because when I started writing, I did think it was mano y mano. 
You know, I thought it was just a fighter against a fighter, and they want to fight each other for a championship belt or whatever it may be. Who's the best fighter? That's what I thought boxing was about. But as I started growing as a journalist and understanding the business a little bit more and understanding why particular fighters avoid certain other ones, I didn't think that way. I didn't think that it's mano a mano. I started learning why the business aspect of, of sports is much more prevalent than the actual outcome of a certain event. And it made me write less, but learn more. You've mentioned in the past that it, it went in your mind from pride fighting to prize fighting. Right. So it became more about cashing in. Correct. And for someone who loves the sport as much as you do, I mean, how do you move forward? How do you keep working within the sport? WWF or WWE, for example, we know it's fake. Right. right? We know there's a script. Would you go so far as to say that boxing has a script? No. I think boxing has a business. I think there's a business aspect to every particular boxing event, any other sport. I just think that in boxing, you see it a lot more. There isn't as much of a filter as it would be with like the NBA, which has a, a league stamp behind and has certain rules about things you can't say. In boxing, it's more about, you know, the negotiation table is right in front of you. We'll find out how much a particular fighter is going to make or why a certain fighter doesn't want to fight so-and-so like right away. Where we're like in the NBA or NFL or Major League Baseball, it'll probably go through like a, a channel before it gets to the media. So you're saying like two fighters, basically at the end of the day, they've got their teams and those teams are determining what, what the fight is going to be like and what it's going to be worth? There's that aspect of it, who the referee is going to be, how big the ring is, what sort of gloves they're going to pick out, who comes out first, who gets announced first. All these types of things, like just like it's just very egotistical in a way. This is about money, right? Mm -hmm. Who's going to be on the front of the bill? Is it going to be Mayweather, De La Hoya, or is it going to be De La Hoya, Mayweather? I see what you, you mean. Know? Yeah. If De La Hoya is on the front, then he's the one that's like the A side, right? He's the one that's getting the most. So are they creating a storyline, or is it about creating a brand? I don't even know if they're creating either one. It's very event based. It's like they're creating a wedding every, every six months or something, you know? <laughs> Trying to cash out and move on to the next one. That's what it is. We can look at the record books all we want, and I still do. I still look at old fighters and what their records were, who they fought at a particular time in their career. But to really dig and understand why those fights happened at a particular time is the business aspect of it. So with all that being said... yeah. You still believe in love and are pushing boxing forward? I used to think I could change the sport with certain things that I do. Now I just think, feel like I'm a part of something. I'm very blessed to be a part of a, a sport that I love. I'm doing something that I love. And being able to bump shoulders with some of the best in the world at what they do. And I'm just trying to help make a difference in that aspect of it. As opposed to trying to change a particular sport. You know, I can't change the business aspect of something that what's been going on for a hundred years. So you're saying it's it's influenced to a degree, but not to the degree that's not worth watching, or you're going to step away, or you've lost your fire for it. Never, no. I mean, boxing is an amazing sport. I mean, I think that everyone can relate to watching a fight. Everyone can sit down and understand what the heck is going on in a fight, who's winning, 
what did that punch hurt that person? As well, why a, is it so meaningful to us to see that? What? I'm not sure what it means, but I know that people understand it. It's a simple enough sport, although it is complex to be one of the best. It's simple to understand that sport as opposed to it would be like, I have to read a freaking rule book to look at what's going on in the NFL game. Right. Every flag, you're like, what happened? Right. So I maybe that's what attracted that sport to me, you know, the most. It was just the simplicity of yeah, and that, one I think on it's, one. that's beautiful. You can't, you can't be denied. If you lose, then, I mean, you lose one or two fights. I mean, that could mean like hundreds of thousands of dollars for a particular fighter. Would you say, and of course, I'm a boxing, I wouldn't even call myself a boxing novice because I, I've never really studied boxing very much, but would you say we grew up, I mean, with Mike Tyson, for example, would you say we grew up at one of the best times to grow up and watch boxing? In the 90s, yes. I mean, you and I probably did, right? Because over the last 10 years, the market's been hit with like UFC. Right. I mean, it's been hit with UFC. It's been hit with without any prevalent heavyweights. American heavyweights yeah. like American heavyweight boxing is what drives the sport right now it's sort of coming back I know you said you're a novice it is coming back like slowly into the mainstream because there's better heavyweight fighters over the last 10 years it was Floyd Mayweather a small guy we're just wondering whether he's going to get hit or not but when you know when I'm going back that, to my that guy just blocks the whole time right and there's a beauty to that yeah you know it's like you're watching to see if he could get hit and the name of the sports to hit and not get hit yeah that's yeah and what i find really amazing about you is you don't just watch the sport you're not just a consumer but you're a producer i know as i was reading through your articles the 91 seconds one <laughs> stood out to me tell us about that yeah one. that one's and that was one of my favorite articles that i wrote because it just reminds me of my childhood story about a mike tyson michael spinks fight in 1988 and i remember that day vividly I remember my dad got a phone call in the mid-afternoon and he was talking about going to watch a Mike Tyson fight at one of my friend's houses, right? And long story short, we saw the fight. It was Mike Tyson just whooped this dude in 91 seconds and all the little kids that were in the room watching the fight ran outside and started screaming 91 seconds like 50 <laughs> times, you know? We're screaming, coming in and out of the house. It was like one of the best days ever. A dramatic first round knockout for Mike Tyson. Unbelievable strike! It came in the first round, and the timer tells me 1:31 of the first round. One of the fastest knockouts in heavyweight history. It came at 1:31 of the first round. And it wasn't just us that was happy. It was like the older people that were happy. And I wrote that article because Mike Tyson was going into the Hall of Fame, and I wanted to write it as a tribute to him. Because when I think about 91 seconds or a minute and a half, it reminds me of Mike Tyson. You know, it reminds me of that day. You know? Yeah. And, and that was a bonding time, would you say, like with your dad? It was a bonding time with my dad. It was a bonding time with my brothers. You know, obviously my friend Alex, we watched it at his house. Bonding time with him. And I mean, I still remember it to this day. You know, it's just um, something where I think... And, you know, it wasn't like, you know, an amazing, spectacular event that everyone will remember. But, but the fact that Tyson knocked that guy out in 91 seconds. It was one of my favorite boxing moments ever. It's probably my favorite fight just because of that aspect of it. It was probably the, one of the first fights that I remember watching. Yeah. And you wrote an article about it and the article got published. So that's awesome. Right. So if you could Google Mike Tyson math, that's the first article that'll show up. Is that right? Yeah. 
<laughs> because people will ask me about it. And I'm like, dang, I don't know how am I going to find this? It's been so long. So I'll just Google Mike Tyson math. Boom. Show right, up right. Because that's what the articles you talk a lot about math helped you learn math. That's right. Because 91 seconds, minute and a half. I was like, okay, that's, I, I get that. And that's the other thing I've noticed in reading your articles. There, there's stuff in there that is timeless, things that we could all relate to. In terms of your writing style, mm-hmm. when you go to write an article, what are you wanting to do? What are your objectives? Well, one of the first things that I try to always keep in mind is I don't want to just write to a boxing fan. I want people that don't know about boxing to find this story and relate to it. So what I do in my writing is I do a lot of comparables. I'll, I'll compare a certain fighter to an actor from a movie or something. And I'll just end up talking about that movie for like two paragraphs and just going back and forth about it. And I'll also try to speak to someone that isn't going to read this article today. I want to speak to someone that might read it 10, 15 years from now and learn something from it and compare it to history, compare what's happening in that particular story to what might have happened in the 60s, mm-hmm. you know, and then, and then they could somehow, some way connect those two, what by, might be happening at the time that they're reading it 10 years from right, now. Right, because as I was reading some of your articles, I kept looking at the date. Really? And I'm like, wait a second, this is, this is not <laughs> a recent article. And that's where it stood out to me that there wasn't anything in the article that would have made me alert that, oh, this was written six years ago or seven years ago. Right. I try to stay away from current events or what might have happened on a particular fight just happened last weekend or whatever it may be. I try to show people what that fight means from the overall context of the sport. And would you say like your history degree has a big role in that? I would say so. I've always had a love for history, not just in sport, but reading about World War II or some of the Revolutionary War stuff and why particular things happened. I think that that could be a good part of it. I just like to look at things from just a different perspective as opposed to just like re- seeing what's like right in front of your face. Why do I have to take a result and just talk about that result? I don't never want to be just a reporter. I wanted to actually write to the people and give, let them actually understand my perspective as opposed to just reporting whatever some person wants to tell me. I love that about your story in that it comes from a good place. You didn't go to school to become a journalist or to become a sports writer. And now you get a media pass. And do you go to all the heavyweight boxing events? <laughs> I go to a lot of, of boxing events. I could go I've gone to pretty much every happening boxing event over the last 10 years. I could go to fight any fights I want. But and are you able to ask any questions after, during the press conferences? You could. Yeah, you could go. You could ask questions. I mean, yeah, I've, I've asked questions after the fights, before the fights, a few days beforehand. There's press conferences. You know, what's funny is I used to go to the press conferences. Like, because there's a press con- the fight's usually on Saturday, and the press conferences are on Thursdays, right? So um, they, like, stare each other down. Yeah, they stare each other down, and then uh, <laughs> they talk on podiums and you know, stare each other down. There's something photos. happening when they look at each other. What do you think's happening? There's some <laughs> sort of exchange of energy, intimidation. I mean, it gets into your head, right? If you've got another person just looking at you like, my job is to take you down you yeah. know, two, three days from now. I've talked to fighters about that. One of my, <laughs> one of my good friends, his name is Andre Ward. He's like the, one of the best fighters in the world. Talk to him about that face-off. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, 
you just can't look away. It's very psychological. Sometimes you want to look away first, but if you, if it's a person that is the type of guy, like you could just read him and he's the guy's like, hey, I'm not looking away no matter what. Right. Then you have to stand there too and right. act like you're not going to look away. But there's other times when like the guy's just kind of like... It's like a big staring contest. It's a psychological yeah. thing, yeah. Man, Andre's a great, great fighter, man. And but he's like your good friend? He's a good friend, yeah. Keep him, we've kept in touch for so long. And it's funny, his story is kind of crazy because he... Grew up as the best fighter in, in his particular weight class since he was like 13 years old, right? He hasn't lost a fight since he was 13. He's the last Olympic gold medalist as a male boxer from wow. America. So he was coming up as quote-unquote best fighter, but Floyd Mayweather was around the whole time. So everyone always called Floyd Mayweather. I, haven't, I hadn't yeah. heard of Andre Ward except for when I, when I was researching you okay. and I learned more about him. Okay. But he's known in the boxing world? Yeah. So yeah. Floyd Mayweather was coming up, and that was overshadowing Andre. Ward. Right. So Floyd Mayweather was in his prime, and Andre was coming up. So Andre was number two, and then it was Floyd Mayweather, number one, right? And we, I was with Andre at a Floyd Mayweather fight, and we were at the press conference, and we were right after his fight. I was standing with Andre, and Floyd Mayweather was talking about his win and blah, blah, blah. And Andre was just watching him, and I was like, hey, man, I was like, what do you think when you see that guy? And he's like, what do you mean? I was like... What do you think when they're calling him number one and you think you're the best? I was like, like, how does that make you feel? And he's like, man, you know what? He goes, I just pay homage. He goes, I pay homage to the people that have been there before me. So I don't ever disrespect that guy. He could talk about down on me all he wants, but I'm always going to give him the respect until he's gone. So there's a beauty to that. And that's, yeah. I feel like in other sports, you don't really get that sort of answer from other basketball players or something. They might all call themselves the best, right? And they won't be like, oh, I pay homage to this guy. Going back to your interview career, what's been the most notable person you've questioned? I mean, I've asked Floyd Mayweather's probably one of the biggest. I would say he is the biggest. I have a pretty funny story, actually, about one of the first times I interviewed Floyd Mayweather. Uh, I was at his fight on the Thursday, like I was telling you about. Actually, no, I was at another person's fight, Manny Pacquiao fight. Yeah. And Floyd Mayweather was announcing his next fight. And, you know, he did the press conference, blah, blah, blah. After the press conference, all the media goes up to him, right? And he's surrounded by maybe 50 people. And Ray Markarian's in the middle of all those 50 people. I am. But I can't get a chance to ask a question right away because there's so many people around him. So I look to my right and I see Oscar De La Hoya there standing by himself. Why? Because he was a promoter at the time, and he wasn't fighting anymore. He was just promoting uh, Mayweather's next fight. Okay. Yeah. And like maybe two years prior to that particular press conference, De La Hoya and Mayweather fought. So I, I wanted to go up to De La Hoya and just ask him a couple of questions. And I was like, hey, I was like, what was the hardest part about fighting Floyd Mayweather? What do you think you should have did to beat him? And he's like, man, he goes, I should have threw the jab a little bit more. I messed up, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. So I go back to Floyd Mayweather. It's, the crowd's kind of dying down, and I get my chance to ask him a question. I go, hey, I go, hey. I go, Oscar De La Hoya said the best way to beat you is with the throwing a jab. He goes, he, he thinks he didn't throw enough jabs oh at you, you know? Oh, my gosh, yeah. I go, what do you think about that? And then, dude, like, when I did that, the little crowd that was around me, like, separated, and Mayweather just, like, looks at me, like, face to face. He's <laughs> like, gets in my face, and he's like, man, how did he start screaming at me? How do you say that to you? Blah, blah, blah. He goes, I should go over there, and... Oh, boom, 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 boom. Just saying, saying all this crazy stuff about you the, attacked his weakness. Maybe I did, yeah. And then I was like, okay, I was like, okay, man, I was, I was just just asking you a question. He kind of calmed down after that. 
Yeah, I, I like to kind of like ask kind of edgy questions just to get people to think. Yeah. You know? It takes a lot of bravery to do that. I mean, what are they going to do to me? Hit me? <laughs> no. I think when you have that microphone in front of them, they're at your mercy. You yeah. can ask them anything you they want. So you're going back to my articles about referees and their, and their past lives. I could ask them about certain business aspects of the sport. What are they going to say? If they don't answer it, then... That's an answer. Right. And that could be portrayed you know, one way or another. So. Well, I absolutely love your passion for boxing. I think it's so unique. I don't know many other Assyrians, if any, that are into boxing uh, as much as you are. <laughs> so that's, that's awesome. And then the fact that you've been able to write for this Sweet Science and for Bleacher Report. You follow this guy, Amir Khan. One article I read where you talk about what his life has been like as a Muslim in the boxing world. Right. Now, tell me more about your relationship with him and the, the work that's going on there. So I met Amir Khan at the, a Virgil Hunter's boxing gym, who is Andre Ward's trainer. Got it, yeah. And he moved here from the United Kingdom, where he's like a, a huge star in the United Kingdom. Amir Khan? Amir Khan. And he started training with this trainer, Virgil Hunter, and didn't really have that much popularity in comparison to the uh, United Kingdom that he did in the United States. So I just wanted to learn a little bit more about him and wrote some stories about him. And in that particular story that you're talking about on Bleacher Report, he was talking a lot about Donald Trump and Donald Trump's views on the Muslim community. And he was saying that Muslims don't really get, I guess, a fair shake. And I just gave him a voice. Yeah. I think it's important. And it made that, that made it to Bleacher Report. It did, yeah. I build relationships with athletes or boxers, really, because I'm in the sport so much, to a point where like, I'm not just writing about them to make a name for myself. I, I like to write about people and let, give them their story. You know, let them, let them tell what they want to talk about. That wasn't my idea to do that. It was his. I was like, hey, let's, Bleacher Report wants me to do a story about you. You got this fight coming up. He's like, yeah. He goes, let's talk about Donald Trump. Let's talk about this and let's talk about that. I'm like, okay, let's do it. That's the type of relationship I like to have where like I'm helping people maybe fix a misunderstanding or help people like just give, give them a voice and that just builds trust. And where do you... Where does that come from? I think it comes from my background. I, it comes from growing up in a small community where you have to trust people, where you have to build relationships with people where it's not very judgmental and it's straight love. And I come into every, every professional aspect of my life with that same mindset. The person that Amir Khan, the Raymar carrying Amir Khan knows or the boxing world knows is who my brother knows or my mom knows or my friends know. I don't want to change any of that. And I think there's a purity to that any professional world. If, you, if you're just genuine, people will genuinely attract to you and have a trusting relationship with you. So that's, you know, one of the things I value about our Assyrian community is we, we were raised very close to one another. And even, even if we lived in different states, we kind of knew each other. And it's very relational based. It's a very communal based ethnic group. And talked about this with me in the past about <laughs> how being an Assyrian has helped you to be hospitable, to connect with some of these athletes at a deeper level. It has. I think the Assyrian culture is very family-oriented and very giving. And you can see an Assyrian person that you never met, 
and just invite them in in your house like they're you know person someone and in you your... feel like you have to have that same attitude with the athletes i don't feel like i have to i think it's just natural you can't be like soft or too kind you know it's it's business at the end of the day but you can be sincere my, my background you know it could be assyrian armenian or whatever just growing up the way i did in my family i think it comes from a you know sincere place we grew up humble we grew up in a place where we had to struggle i wasn't i didn't have an airport you know near in modesto you know i moved to when i moved to a big city i was like wow like you can live like 10 minutes from an airport that's amazing so it's rooted in me i guess i think a lot of people don't seem to understand what we're given as Assyrians in terms of some of the we all know each other can be so annoying true but then it can also shape us into the kinds of people that care about others yeah. that care about what's happening around us and that's really valuable and just from knowing you I can't imagine that other boxers and athletes who meet you they're they they sense something genuine and something that really cares for them and cares for encouraging them along their way look i don't have an agenda when i write a story or i work on a project with with a particular athlete i don't have an agenda to do anything malicious like i said like build myself over someone else you got to think long term in this business man sports business it's not like i'm the athlete and i have a seven-year window to make all my money and make a name for myself and i'm done retire in the journalistic aspect of it or a production aspect of it i could do this for the next the rest of my life, 70 years. I'm just building my name right now. I'm nowhere near where I want to be. I noticed that too as as I grew up in the sport. The, some of the athletes that I worked with in the beginning are done or almost done. And I see the young generation in the boxing gym. They look at me like, oh, that's the guy that was dealing with the, the older fighter. Yeah. Or Amir Khan or Andre Ward, whatever. And I have a different relationship with the younger fighters that I used to when I was young with the other young fighters. Takes time. So what do you see next in terms of the media stuff? Do you see yourself doing more writing or what what are some future media projects you've got going? Yeah, I mean writing's always in my blood. I do see myself doing more writing, but right now I'm working on a lot of uh, productions with some of the, my team that works with the Golden State Warriors. That's right. Your strengths and numbers video. Strengths and numbers. What was your role in that? I was an executive producer of that. Oh, wow. So That's awesome. Yeah. What they wanted to do is they want to connect Bay Area athletes. Mm -hmm. Golden State Warriors want to connect Bay Area athletes with the team and have commercial or feature at their arena. They The only way they could connect with Andre Ward or some of the other Bay Area fighters was through me. Without going through any particular channels, like they didn't want to. Yeah, I set it up. That's awesome. I wrote the script for some of the articles, or I'm sorry, some of the uh, some of the videos. Because that strengths in numbers yeah. campaign, when the Warriors are in the playoffs and finals, I mean, it's huge around here. It is pretty big. Yeah, it's on t-shirts and stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you were an executive producer for some of the videos within that? Right. And you know what? It's a small world. I would never think that members of the Golden State Warriors production team couldn't get a hold of other athletes in the in the, in the bay area right, but they don't know? they don't they don't yeah and, and how did they get in touch with them i don't know i never knew that they needed to get someone to do that and then it's all about who you know right? it's all about who you know and who knows you and uh you know i set that up and they needed help with putting the story together they didn't know too much about the fighters so i was like yeah you know what let me give you a little scoop about the fighters and let me you know give you my script and see what you think of it and uh we put something together and you know i've done a few of those now and now uh, I'm working on a current project for Amir Khan 
It's actually a feature film slash documentary with the Warriors production team. Yeah. And we're doing an independent film on Amir Khan. Because he's coming, he's coming back. Like he's he lost his last fight a couple of years ago and he's making a comeback. I'm doing different things and you can't just stay in the same place. You have to reinvent yourself. I could go back to writing for those hardcore boxing websites all I want. I think I could do that. I'm yeah. lucky enough to do that. The reason why I'm doing the Assyrian podcast mm -hmm. is because I want Assyrians all over the world to hear from other Assyrians and the kind of work that they're doing and be inspired. And I know your work inspires me because I read Bleacher Report. I've read Sweet Science. I watch the Strength in Numbers videos. And then when I found out, because I didn't know you, and then when I found out, oh my gosh, there's this Assyrian guy named Ray Markarian that lives in San Francisco who's kind of, who's behind a lot of this stuff and, and putting it together. It really encouraged me. It was, <laughs> I was like, okay, we got to get him on the Assyrian podcast. So with that being said, I want you to answer the question. If you could say something to all the Assyrians out there, what would you say? But before you answer that question, so think about that question. Before you answer that question, I want you to give me your best Michael Buffer impression. So, and and uh, for those of you who don't know, Michael Buffer, he's the guy that would always like start boxing matches. So you want me to make a huge announcement and then tell you what I think about Assyrians? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Now, now wait. Don't get too close to the mic because it just pops. Up. Yeah, but, but we want to hear Ray Markarian is playing the Michael Buffer role. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready to rumble! I'm ready to throw down right now. Let's see. Where's Dude, the yeah. fight? Where's that, like, the gave fight? me a head rush right now. I'm all pumped up. Oh, yeah. That's it. <laughs> what was your question again? Okay, so the question was, what uh, if you could say something to kind of all the Assyrians all over the world that listen to the Assyrian podcast, what would you say to them? Keep working hard. Keep going after what you want to go after. And don't listen to any of the politics or any of the, maybe the haters, right? Mm -hmm. Don't listen to anyone trying to stop you from, from what you want to achieve. We all came from a place where you're not going to end up where you started, right? So I think you have to keep that in mind. We have an expectation on us, right? I mean, we have an expectation on us, but we have a, you should have a better expectation or a, a harder expectation on yourself. You should be your toughest critic. And don't be afraid to take chances. Because the hardest or the worst place you're going to end up is where you started. And I've always thought that whenever I took a risk. But when you hear stories about millionaires losing their fortune or millionaires going bankrupt, why is it that they always come back and make more money, right? And the reason why is because they know how to make it, right? They know how to make that money. So you could fall and get back up. There's no shame in that. Our president filed for bankruptcy or whatever three times or whatever it is. I've heard that story. Who's the president now? Mm -hmm. So yeah, you always you could always come back. So I think that that that's like, your message. That's my message. Yeah, don't don't uh don't give up. Well, hey, thank you so much, man, for being on the Assyrian podcast. And I'm gonna keep following your work. We're gonna follow your work. Where can we get a hold of you? Well, you can, well, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Ray Markarian. Thanks for being on the show. We hope to do more episodes with you in the future. Thanks, Steve.